0: Hey everybody, and welcome to The Vulnerable Entrepreneurs, coming at you from the great city of Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm Sean Riley.
1: And I'm Common Thrath
0: And today, like always, we're having a no bullshit conversation about the entrepreneurial way of
1: life. So Sean, I heard that uh, you have some type of like, easy peasy, like Tough Mudder or something this weekend that you're heading into.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the problem with these events is they make it very easy to sign up, and they do it long enough from the actual event that i say this a lot on paper sounds really cool like i'm i was very excited and then you realize you have to train for it and then actually go do it so yeah i have um the opportunity to do a navy seal esque, um they call it 20x uh 20 hour training um that i get to i get to pay for and participate in i don't know really how else to describe it i do know that you have to jump out of a helicopter and swim to the beach that's kind of your intro after that they don't really tell you like what they're going to do to you otherwise other than you'll be sad cold and hungry and call out for your mom a lot which i'm prepared to do but i'm actually looking forward to it i think um you know it's all mental really um and if you can be mentally strong, you can be physically strong. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm excited. Um, so, yeah, so you're looking forward to
1: getting your, your ass kicked. Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, it's a little bit of a um, mm-hmm.
0: self, you know, destructive tendency. I guess I have. I don't know. It just, like I said, looked great on paper. The website was cool. So I'm like, next thing I know, it's like, hey, you're confirmed. I'm like, God, oh, great. <laughs> That's great. But seriously, I'm looking forward to it. I I think it's going to be a challenge for me. Um, I haven't done something specific to this event in a while. And um, uh, the last one I did was a couple of years ago. as a personal development thing, which I've talked to you about. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think I want to actually see how strong I can be mentally and kind of set that as my new baseline and, and kind of translate that into business and personal. And, yeah, so
1: I'm looking forward to it.
0: You know, I'll cry. I definitely will cry. And I'm sure the hugs will be free. But you know, it's all right. I'll get through it.
1: I know you invited me to this, Sean, but still openings available. Something. Still openings available. I'm busy somehow as I'm staying home here in quarantine. Yeah. I'm busy somehow. Um, but I, I remember strap once you
0: oh. to my back and drag you to one of these events, one of these times you're going to
1: come. Well, the, the story you told me at another event, uh, I, can, I see the value of some of this stuff. It, it, it's not for everyone, but I, you mentioned to me you were in a ring. I don't know if it was a professional boxer and yeah. kind of knocked you out. He, um, the story about the, getting back up. You can give me a little context there.
0: Yeah, so he's a, a world class, really, when you're fighting me, you do you have to be world class? You can be any class, but he was a world class MMA fighter um, down in New York, New Jersey area. And we had to box them f- box for two, was it two rounds? Right. So I distinctly remember walking into the ring and then I tapped gloves w- with him. I remember the bell going off and then I literally opened my eyes and was looking at the fluorescent lights on the ceiling. So it was kind of, it's funny because he knocked my lights out with one punch. But the the whole gist behind that was for me personally, It takes me a while to flip that switch. And I was trying to get the switch flipped in my life, business, personal, whatever, quicker, quicker, a quicker flip of the switch. So when he hit me, I had an instantaneous fight or flight reaction and every guy, you know, says, okay, well, if something happened, I'd be right there, but you really don't know unless you've been tested. So I said, okay. And I got up and I started swinging at him, and I I did actually pretty well after he knocked me on the floor the first time. But it was so um, validating to me that I actually stayed in it and and fought versus running away and crying like I might do this weekend.
1: You know. Well, maybe we'll have to invite everyone, uh, especially our special guest here, and that might help him come back next time. Is uh, was super super excited today to be joined by Rand Fishkin my hero. Some other people, other marketers say he's like Santa Claus to them. Um, uh, But no, Rand has an amazing story and, and we're excited to have him on board because I think he's going to have stories from really what's happening with entrepreneurship that I think could resonate with a lot of people. Um, You know, Rand dropped out of the university of Washington to work full time with his mother in the, in their small business as a web designer. And you know, After two decades of entrepreneurship, he started two businesses, uh, most recently uh, an innovative audience intelligence platform, SparkToro, um, and he has built his brand on complete transparency, you know, which is evident in his testimonial of the adversities he's faced throughout his time uh, with Moz uh, and one of his greatest th- distinguishments as uh, is the uh, SEO Moz blog which over the course of a decade became the world's most popular community and content resource for search marketers. Uh, so Ranj Fishkin, former CEO of Moz and now founder and CEO of Sparktorial, welcome to our show, The Vulnerable Entrepreneurs. Thanks for having
2: me, Com, Uh and Sean. Thanks, um, yeah. Thanks for, for sharing this story. I'm looking forward to it.
0: I think talking about your experiences and and your successes and failures. Is going to be kick-ass, but can we just spend a moment on the name? I mean, Rand Fishkin is just a kick-ass, strong. I think
2: brand name. I think that is just that is just kick-ass. That is that is so. Uh, that is really nice of you to say, Sean. I was kind of worried you were going to say that's like the Jewiest, hebiest name since oh, no, you know, Mark Goldberg. All, no, that's a power <laughs> stance right there.
0: I love it. I love it.
2: That's uh, that's awesome. No, I, I can take no credit for it. Uh, Rand is an old. Um yeah, Jewish family name. Uh my uh my uncle who um actually we yeah, weirdly enough was was killed in a fraternity hazing incident. Oh God. Um uh his his middle name was was Rand, and so that's how I got how I got the name Rand.
0: Well, it's a cool name. I, I think that's I mean, kudos for us for the guest list comma yeah, having kick-ass names. The rest is all cherry on top yeah, now, right? I mean,
2: <laughs> honestly, it's just it's just about the <laughs> right. It's just not so, the name just about it. the brand. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, Com is a is a pretty killer name too. And do you say your last name uh Intharath?
1: Intharath? So my my yeah, Intharath. Um it's actually pronounced in in tilot, So in-tilat. when when we immigrated in-tilat. over, yeah, uh, they misspelled it and it's it's Intharath. Um when I when I went back to, to Laos, um uh, from Laos, uh I was telling my mom like, "Hey, are we going to like with how that person has our last name that person has our last name oh wow is it com? Okay. she's actually in Tharoth. is like smith hmm. no kidding <laughs> so yeah, i was like oh i was like disappointed I, was, I thought i was related to all these people <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, like, i went back to the homeland i'm like these are uh, this is my it's family. Funny. so the, the
2: yeah. opposite thing or mm-hmm. or um a related but not quite that thing uh, happened to us. So when my my you know family obviously was all like fleeing the Nazis in World War Two, right? And they came over to Ellis Island. Uh, this is in the the you know twenties and then late thirties on the other side of my family, and they uh, changed their last name. So I don't I don't know what my actual last name is supposed to be. Like, what my, what was my great grandfather's last name? That was lost to history. Uh, they just when he got off the boat. They were like, what's your employer's name? And that's how we got the last wow. name fishkin. No so, kidding. yeah. So I'm, I'm actually not related to most of the other fishkins who are in the United States because that was just my great grandfather's employer. And no kidding. yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of wild. It's also wild Man. to me that like, I don't, I don't know. It's so, it's so strange. Like history feels so far away and yet it is so recent. Like this, this, it's crazy to me that I was born vastly closer to like, you know, segregation and World War II than we are today, <laughs> right? Than right. how old I am today. Like, oh my God, wait a minute. That's insane. Yeah. If I go back 41 years before I was born, like, look at the world, what the world yeah. was. And now 41 years since I was born, look at the, what the world is. It's nuts. Yeah, It's Yeah, it's a little nutty. There's a lot of people saying, I never thought
0: either we would go through this again, which is strikingly scary, or I've never seen anything like this. It's like, wow, those are great two choices to pick. Never it again, never thought we'd be here to begin with. I mean, wow. What a space. Uh, I know it's, it's,
2: it's really remarkable. And I, I think this is one of the, you know, one of the superpowers that you like develop over time as you, as you get older, assuming that you. You know, consume information and are sort of open to new experiences and new information. I'm sure you you have both felt this as entrepreneurs too, right? That that you um, you get to contextualize history in a way that lets you almost predict the future, right? Like you get this you get this sort of um, broad scale cultural empathy, and I think that helps you. Like for me, in a pragmatic way, it helps me with marketing. It helps me with audience understanding. It helps me with customer feedback and surveys and, and how I respond to people. It helps me with how I talk about my business. It helps me with how I narratively story tell, right? Because I can I can like, I don't know, I could never do this in my early stages of my career, right? But like I can kind of feel how people will respond to a story, or to information, yeah. or to a way that I talk about something, and um, yeah, it's it's wild. I don't know. I, I never had this like. I'm not sure if you guys did you did you go to like a I don't know liberal arts college or something like that. No, my I'm college a yeah. yet. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> my college was um, very rigid. There was business. Oh. And then there was more business. Oh, wow. I didn't have the most liberal anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It> <laughs> kind that, of growing up.
2: What, what, what school is that?
0: When I went, it was Bryant College, which was a small business school in, in Rhode Island. Now it's Bryant University. So it's, okay. it's just a lot different than, and very much so a liberal arts school. When yeah. I went there, it was one of the, the three New England, what they would call business schools. Babson, Bryant, and Bentley are all just, just, Babson was more entrepreneurial, but the others were strict, strong, you know, you're going to be an accountant, you're going to be an actuary, or you get a little creative and be in finance, which, you know, I was the finance guy, but yeah, everybody else is, yay, yeah, you go right out of here and take your actuary exams and work for an insurance company for the rest of your life. I'm like, yeah, that's not, no, that's not me. I don't think yeah. that's me.
2: It was interesting, right? Because I, I feel like um, in common, I don't know, did you have
1: a similar school experience? Yeah, Providence College. So PC Friar, uh, Dominican Monks, but a lot of it's like Western Civ. And uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm Buddhist. And I was like, kind of like, hmm, I? but it was really the, the, the experience. And, and it, it is pretty uh, it is pretty liberal, I feel, even though it was you know, a, a Catholic college. Um, so I'm just really open learning all different things and trying to find your path yeah Yeah, i i mean i i feel
2: like when i was in college i did not appreciate how any of that stuff would apply i I just didn't i didn't understand like what why do i have to learn about you know whatever middle east history why do i have to learn about um you know uh whatever it is literature or um existentialism or blah 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 like what What value is this stuff to me? And now, you know, as I'm older, I'm like, oh my God, that stuff is so useful. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going and doing my own research into that. And I'm like trying to read more and consume more and understand, you know, become a kind of systems thinker and understand how like broad cultural attitudes and history and all these forces impact how people think about Everything, right? Yeah, it shows the
0: genesis of where everything yeah. started. I wish you
2: could start college. Like, I
0: think you should go to high school, work for a long time, and then go to college because you're much more equipped to appreciate what's going on around you. When I was in college, I'm like, how quickly can I get out of this Western Civ class? <laughs> can I book two classes at the same time and pass both? You know, what? What? when's beer night? Like <laughs> your perspective is completely screwed up.
2: I, I mean, I will say, right? The um, I'm sure you you both find this right, and 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 I bet Kelly and Cheryl who are listening uh, find this as well. That that young men in their 20s are not not the most thoughtful, you know, no. greatest uh, folks out there. Yeah, we're <laughs> but, not behind. <laughs> that that amount of testosterone and youth courts sing through a person is it's a really tough time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Honestly, go start a company.
2: <laughs> I, don't. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell a young men to do. I' was sort of like just maybe don't be yourselves for a while. It's rough. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. It's like you talk to them when they're 12. Go run around in the yard. yeah, yeah but I'm go twenty-two run around in the yard exactly. It applies go run around cool. the yard. Oh that's brilliant.
1: You gotta, you gotta get out of your system. You told me when you 20s is, system, right? I think I met, I remember I was at a, a, a conference and he had to have been like 21, 22 and just walked right up and said, you know, I was with another fellow entrepreneur and we're, we're chatting and he's like, he's like, I want to do, I want to be the business owner too. And I, I I'm going to be a millionaire. I will be one this year. And but like, wow. Great. And we didn't want to get into it with him, but it's like, Twenty one, right? Twenty two, like not, no contacts. Um, yeah, so awesome. Hard to I, give so advice to someone that's of those. young. <laughs> it's a weird.
2: It's a weird thing, right? Like I, um, I love entrepreneurship. I love this idea of of identifying a problem in the world and building a solution to it. I love the freedom that that sort of capitalism offers to let us. You know, go explore our passions and interests, go find problems that, that need addressing, go address them, solve them, make money doing it, get, you know, sort of rewarded financially for that, get rewarded status wise for that. But at the same time, I really, I really hate the sort of whatever late stage capitalism, American entrepreneurship focus on on richness and wealth. Like it is it's kind of gross to me.
0: Oh, it's, it's, um, I mean, being an investor and starting a VC company, it's a, it's a, it's a a bad neighborhood to be in. We're not, um, our industry is not uh, kind. We are very much um, focused on profitability, which is important, but it's not the most important. Matter of fact, I would argue if you focus on profitability, either as an investor or an entrepreneur, you become so numb to it that it becomes actually less important. So, mm-hmm. so if you you need to focus on running your business and what your purpose is, the and a, and an output to that is profitability. If you go into a business, I'm going to be profitable. I can tell you right now, you you're not. You, you, and if you are, you won't nearly be as profitable if you were if you're solving to your point a problem or fulfilling your purpose. Yeah, you're worried about the score of the game instead of how you're playing. It, it doesn't work. It's not yeah. going to work.
2: That's a, that's a good analogy. Very good analogy. No, I and I think I think there's also um, you know like a weird obsession that we've got um, in 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 many subcultures in the U.S. around just money in general. Right, that right. you are—you are how much money you made last year, or you are how much money you're making now, or you are how much money you have in the bank, and and, 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 and
0: more of, so a failure if it's less. Yeah. If it's less than, oh yeah. well, what did you do wrong this year? Well, yeah. nothing.
2: Oh yeah, yeah but and it's the comparison, less than. right? That the culture of comparison to others yeah. is incredibly unhealthy, and um, and and it's hard. It's really hard to change. I think that, you know, the worst part of it to me is like, there's an obvious, you know, I think in our world, right, there's obvious good and obvious evil, right? And obvious evil is I want powerful, wealthy people to have more power and wealth. And obvious good is I want people who don't have opportunity, don't have wealth, don't have a voice, don't have good lives to have better ones, right? right? And like that, that dichotomy is just clear as day. And yet, weirdly, we've sort of culturally shifted to like, let's not infringe on the rights and opportunities of the wealthy and who cares about the poor. They deserve what they've got. Right. Right. So like we've got to, we've got to change that mindset. Right. Right. Like at the core of entrepreneurship is this idea that the idea that you can start from nothing and build something if you are dedicated and creative and thoughtful and, Uh, kind and growth minded and intelligent. And that opportunity has to exist everywhere, or the system is broken.
0: Right. And I like what you said, because in all of those traits, not one of them was profitable.
2: Yeah, yeah. Profitability is an outcome, right? Right. Right. Making money is an outcome from doing all these right things, right? Right. And, And that doesn't mean that you can't be good at accounting and, and budgeting and uh fin- you know financially thoughtfully minded when you go into your uh business but that that can't be your right the, the guy who comes up to common is like i'm 21 i'm gonna be a millionaire this year like, hey bro i yeah uh, i i i got bad news for you i think uh i think maybe you should stick to the hacky sack like
0: <laughs> yeah right. Energy A, thought process, I'm going to give you a D on that. Just, <laughs> you know, A for effort, but yeah. it doesn't quite work that way.
1: No, that's fine. You, you mentioned like all the stuff you just mentioned, right? So it's it, it's like giving back or or, or doing things that are, are, are real and pure that are, I call it give, 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 and you know, you'll know you get when it's ready, right? Like yeah. So yeah. right now like, with with the challenging times with just the economy and the pandemic and no, we're advising our clients as, as a marketing agency and we do branding. We're mm-hmm. trying to help our clients in all different industries. Like, what are you doing to realign your brand to show that you're connected to the community yes. and things like that? So what, what advice can you give to other to entrepreneurs listening here? Like they wanna do the same thing for their business. Like, you know, what, are, yeah. what are ways for them to think beyond, like, I gotta make money now and pay the bills. Of course, we're all thinking that but you have to do these other things to get that if you, so yeah, what, what I, think, I think one of the best advice. ways, one of the
2: best ways to do marketing uh, right now and through any type of, you know, recessionary or, or potentially depression environment that, that the United States economy is in um, is, is to uh, help other people and use the help that you provide to create pent up future demand for your products and services. Right. So um, I'll give you an example, like with, with SparkToro, we launched in April, we saw from our, you know, early access launch at the end of February and into March that like, you know, conversion rates were falling, marketers were getting laid off left and right, that the people who are our audience were losing their jobs, they were losing their budgets, they were having their corporate cards pulled, they were being told they can't spend anything on more on software this year, right? All, all that kind of stuff. And so we shifted our uh, strategy, our sort of positioning from Hey, this is like a you get a demo once and then you can you know, sign up for a paid subscription to let's offer a permanently long term free use product that people can find a lot of value in and get a lot of data out of uh, so that our product is helping a lot of marketers. And then you know what? In future years, as the economy recovers, as people, as businesses recover, they will come back to us if we've been valuable to them. Right. And so it's it's sort of a strategy shift from how do I extract dollars right now to how do I help people long term in a way that they will have a positive association with me and that will build up that pent up future demand. I was shocked the yep. crazy example, um, I think from an economist I follow on on Twitter, but uh, I can't remember his last name, Jason something, but he was, he was pointing out that um, the cruise ship industry, right, which incredibly hard hit by COVID, a bunch of cruise ships, like got a bunch of caseloads, they sent, uh, they were analyzing emails that the cruise ship companies were sending to their customers, right? People who had bought cruise ship tickets for that, for this year, for 2020, and the the uh, cruise ship cruise liners were sending emails, basically saying, "Hey, your two options are: you can get a refund right now, or you can get credit towards a future ticket on our, um, you know, on our cruise line when we reopen." And more than seventy percent, more than seventy percent of the people who got that email chose the option to get credit toward a future cruise. Um, which blows my mind, right? Blows my mind, but it suggests that consumer demand, right? The the reality is consumer demand exists. It is there. People want to do these things. They're ready to spend that money and those dollars. And it it is merely delayed demand.
0: I think too, it also shows The disassociation between what's going on in the economy to that industry. And that's huge. You want to make sure that they don't associate the problems with COVID or whatever it is. And cruise lines, it happens. It goes in spurts. It's not just COVID. You hear about it, you know, fairly frequently whenever there's SARS or anything like that. And it's good that that industry can disassociate from what's happening in the world. We're not that problem. So here's your options. We'll be better. Like we all will be sometime in the future.
2: Right. Right. And I think, yeah, I think for them, it's, um, you know, the, the, the takeaway that I have is that by offering that opportunity for thinking about the future and creating future demand, uh, you are helping your business. You just have to, you know, be able to yeah, calm to your point, right? Like survive through the short term, help people um, have empathy for what they're going through. And then longer term, you create an opportunity path for yourself to recover.
0: Rand, one of the things that I want to ask you is, and and as an entrepreneur, but also as an investor, I think in in a little bit of a pessimistic way, it's very easy, particularly in the United States to start a company and functionally it's easy right Hmm. and there there is this misnomer created that not only is it easy to create a company but it's easy to whatever it is that you're creating it's easy to monetize that as someone who has gone through right i mean oh yeah or just 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 go get capital Hmm. what as someone who has gone through kind of successes and failures we always talk about, oh, everything you want is on the other side of fear. And, well, you just got to power through it. And, you know, they make it, they, we, us, me, make it easy sounding to do that. How did you do that? How do you power yourself in in a state of failure? We've all failed to get to that next level, to know, or or not necessarily the next level because that assumes it's higher or different, but get through yeah. That place and to be successful again, that takes energy and spirit and drive and confidence. It's not easy. It's a bitch. Yeah.
2: Well, and I, um, it's weird, right? So Sean, I would say for me, it is uh, very different than energy, drive, confidence, those kinds of things. Um, the, uh, you know, reality is, and, and calm, I think, you know, you mentioned that, that you, uh, read or browsed lost and founder, right. Which, which is sort of my book about this experience. And, and I, um, I stepped down as Mazda CEO in 2014 after, you know, growing the company to about 30, somewhere between 35 and $40 million in revenue, uh, uh, at an annualized rate. And we, um, you know, I'd raised a bunch of venture capital from, uh, a few, well-known funds and, uh, built, you know, grown a team from seven people to 200 and like, you know, all these, all these sorts of things that from the outside look like success, they are not success. Um, they are, they are misleading um, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and the reality was when I stepped down as CEO of Moz, it was because I was going through severe depression, right? I was, um, I was deeply, deeply, um, you know, in emotional and mental health pain all the time, and um, and I felt that it was the right, right, and only path for me. Um, and I did not get through that period by gaining confidence and believing in myself and and you know, growing my energy. I got through that period by having shitty experiences and sharing them vulnerably with other people. And by talking to other people who had had mental health problems and people, friends of mine who were entrepreneurs who had been suicidal and gotten, you know, and, and suffered through those kinds of mental health crises. And I got through it by, um, by being an emotionally open person and by working on getting more sleep and working less and by, um, forgiving myself and by, uh, you know, processing my feelings and therapy. Right. Those are, those are like all the opposite things of what American masculinity teaches you about, like how to be a real tough guy, you know, like, Fuck that! Uh, I'm I, I don't I don't believe in any of that. I, if it's right for you, whatever. But I don't think it's right for me. I don't think it's right for almost anyone who's going through those types of things. Um, what you know? What got me back into uh, starting starting my next company? You know, what was very motivating for me was the opportunity to learn from my past mistakes. The opportunity to create a different path. A a path to building a company that was not venture backed, that was non-traditional in, in a ton of different ways that used that went against a ton of the advice of uh Silicon Valley, you know, startup tech mentality and ha- having been deep in that world, I think it's a pretty unhealthy environment, an unhealthy set of beliefs and standards for 99% of entrepreneurs. The interesting thing about most venture capitalists that I talk to and have talked to is that, you know, they'll say publicly outright, Venture capital is wrong for 99.9% of companies. And I'm like, that's great. Stop marketing it to 100% of tech entrepreneurs. You, you got to stop. Right. Show right. me the alternatives. Show me how you're investing in the alternatives that are right for 99%. Like why, why, do, uh, why are there more venture dollars going to men named John than all women combined in the last quarter century? That's, that's some crazy bullshit.
0: Well, right? I say this a lot. I say, if you're a woman owned business in Cleveland, good luck getting access to venture capital We're we're a, an odd, oddly shaped industry. We're very yeah. narrow. Very and Oh, by the way, women owned VCs outperform people that look like me by two to one, two to one.
2: I mean, it's, it's really right. So it's, it's embarrassing. Right. I think, I think there's, there's a lot of like very frustrating, problematic, you know, gender issues, racist race issues, access to capital issues, access to ge- geography issues. Right. Um, and, and that, that bothers me a lot about venture capital, but so too, does the idea that, you know, look, Moz is an interesting story on this front, right? It's a company that from the outside looks like it should be a success. But if you're familiar with the mechanics of venture, you're like, oh yeah, that's really problematic, right? So Moz is doing, I don't know, 50 million-ish in revenue. But four years ago, right, when I stepped down as CEO, it was doing, well, sorry, uh, four years ago, six years ago now, when I stepped down as CEO, right, it was doing uh, close to 40. So it has not grown much. Like it's very much plateaued uh, over those those last few years. It's worth weirdly. It's worth less today than when it was doing ten million dollars in revenue, but growing at one hundred percent year over year, right? And um, and don't you
0: like our math? We have great math. Don't yeah, you? great
2: great math. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, it makes sense, right? Like when you understand the mechanics of it, it makes sense. However, it is um, very frustrating that from the outside, much of the perception around what's successful and not successful is so biased. And so, you know, a lot of folks, like people email me all the time and are like, Hey, uh, would you invest in my company? And, and my answer to them is I have no money. Right? Like I own 20% of this company that's doing $50 million a year in revenue, but I was making a below market salary for all 17 years that I worked at Moz. I, you know, I have, a, I have a mortgage on a house in Seattle and I'm doing okay paying that. And I have enough money to help out some family members, but that's like a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank. I am not an accredited investor unless you count my ownership of my shares in Moz, which are illiquid. So, you know, people are like, oh, why didn't you bootstrap SparkToro? Why did you, you know, raise money in this sort of unique structure? And the answer is I could not afford to. Right? I had to. I had to get a job the day after I left Moz. I left. I left Moz February 28th. I started SparkToro March 1st. <laughs> like, I got to. I got to go back to work. Right? It's not. Uh, it's. It's not what you think it is. Fifty million dollars a year in revenue. CEO founder. Nope. That's not. Uh, that's not a recipe for a lot of money.
0: Well, the Titanic was not sunk from the top of the iceberg. It was sunk from what is under the water. And a lot of people, entrepreneurs. Um, In the dream state, that pre-entrepreneurial state are in this, like I said, it's easy to start a company, almost too easy. And it's venture capital, whether it's a true marketing slogan, have made it the appearance of getting capital easy. It's not. And capital, I say this all the time, too. Capital should be one of several factors that can help your business be successful. It can't be the it can't we. VC to me is an accelerator. It's gonna get you from point A to point B faster than you might on your own. You have to know what point A and point B are because I can't help you. If you don't know where B is, we're gonna load your rocket full of fuel and blast it into the air and you have no idea where it's gonna go. You might get to Mars, you might hit the moon. We don't know. And that's, I say this to entrepreneurs all the time, you have to run your business as your business and fulfill your purpose, not related to, I need this much capital. It has to run on its own. We can accelerate you. We can't help you necessarily. There are exceptions, but without really an incubator scenario, get you started. And we can't give you the mindset that you need. I think capital early on in the company is is, um, dangerous because I think it sets an ugly precedent for the entrepreneur that that's easy, I'm great. We're going to make a ton of money to support this. I mean, going from forty to fifty million dollars is an amazing story. Not in the VC world, that's called a plateau. I mean, right. that's ridiculous to me, right? Yeah, it's crazy. ridiculous. Yeah, but you know, so that's I like what you say about that. It is. It is certainly not for. Uh, I actually had a um, investor that's looking at our fund, and he said, "Oh, your your VC." For the ninety-eight percent of us, you actually focus mm-hmm. on the entrepreneur and the people first. Well, what's the other way to to do it? Well, it's the way it goes now, and there's a lot of failures.
2: There's a lot of of failures. I, I don't know if uh, Sean or Com, did you uh, did you guys check out the um, you know the House of Representatives, like like interviewed or, or grilled the big tech CEOs, um, including. Yep. You know, Sundar Pichai from Google and and Jeff Bezos and and Tim Cook and all those guys. So um, there was a document drop, like the the testimony itself was like eh, a little bit weird, but the the document drop was amazing because you see all these private emails between, you know, the founders of uh, Google and um, and like their, you know, their executive teams and in there the discussion of like, Hey, should we acquire this company? Right. And they're like, you know, it's Facebook talking about Instagram or Google talking about YouTube or whatever it is. Right. And the, the discussions are so, it's so old boys club, like, well, yeah, you know, like we golf with those guys from Sequoia. So we know them pretty well. They said this company's kind of hot. Like we like to buy companies from Sequoia. Let's do a deal with them. It's not, is this the, like, should we buy no. this company? Cause it's right for our business. Like no. it is such, no, no. such yeah. a network. Yeah, it blew my mind. I mean, reading it, right? Like if you go to Silicon Valley and you have those interactions with those folks and you know, I, I used to do this all the time, right? Go fly down there a few times a year, go out to dinner with all the whatever, fancy CEOs and stuff. And, and um, that, <laughs> that world is so network driven. You know, it is, it's no surprise that people feel like it's a closed ecosystem that's like not accessible to them because it really, really is. Well, uh, it's geographically
0: biased. It's gender biased. It's school, university. It's VC
2: biased. I mean, age biased. like everything, right? Right. Like I said, it looks like like, this. Yeah, it sucks.
0: Yeah, it sucks. And it's hard to. You know, a tech gets a little bit of a free pass, but even going through the bubble, I mean, I worked at a dot-com company during the bubble and all we were playing for was the stock options. It had yeah. everything to do with the investment capital and the IPO. Then it did what we were building, which we were building great stuff. We could have built great stuff without the $100 million in the IPO. Like who cares? Yeah, Everybody did. Yeah.
1: Ran, I want to unpack, if uh, you go back about, cause we love to you know when we have our guests here to really understand who they are. Right. And, and kind of how you go through your thought process and, 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 you know, make decisions. So when you had to write that email, you know, in, and when you were in Moz and, you know, potentially you talk about the word layoff, which could totally freak everyone out because it's relevant today right now. Right. Yeah. Um, what were you going through leading up to that? Like, is this, it, was it the right choice? Was it not the right choice? To- choice when is the right choice like because i know for all the entrepreneurs listening to this where if they have to have the same type of hard discussion or furlough right now yeah you know give us some insight of like what were you going through um yeah i know it was hard but what were you experiencing i mean i was let's see
2: gosh it was it was a very difficult period i i sort of had a weird i don't know how to put it um weird perspective on it in that I had been lobbying for several years after stepping down as CEO for, for the company to become profitable again because that would immunize us from the necessity of doing layoffs, right? And I felt that that was a very important thing to do. The leadership um, that that replaced me did, did not feel that way, right? They, you know, um, she thought that Spend, you know, spending money fast to get growth fast, which is which is the venture model, right? That is that is what you're encouraged to do. That um, that was the right path, and I was frustrated and vocal, probably more vocal than you're supposed to be inside a company, right? Um, like. I think uh, I think if you're a CEO and you have a founder who stepped down and promoted you, you don't want that person around, sort of detracting from your leadership. And I'm sure I did, and and I feel bad for that. I should have left the company earlier. Um, it's a but, Jerry Maguire
0: letter, right? Where the movie Jerry Maguire, you wrote the letter. You wrote, wrote the letter, yeah. dude.
2: <laughs> well, I, yeah, I didn't just write the letter, right? Like I was on stages being like this is the wrong thing for us to be doing. Right. Just, just undermining, right. Really? Which is shitty. You, she didn't deserve that. I shouldn't have done it. That being said, when we were facing the layoffs, you know, I, I, I tried hard not to, but in my head I was just like, told you so, told you so, told you so, told you so. Right. And, um, I think, I think that made, uh, that made the layoffs both less personally emotional for me, right? Because I was kind of like, what What did I tell you? Here we are. And also more frustrating. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think that internally, right? It's not like anybody who was laid off was was giving me credit for that. <laughs> no, no one was like, oh, good job. You, you called the fact that I don't have a job, Rand. Yeah, I really appreciate that in you. That, you, that honesty you know, that's uh, a plus. No, they were, they were like, F you, I hate you. You, you messed up just as bad as everybody else. Um, so that you don't, you don't get any credit for that kind of thing. I, uh, I would say that it was, you know, it was an ugly time period. Cause I, I think that whereas the rest of the executive team sort of felt like, Hey, we're all in this tough experience together. Right. Calm, they, they were all in it together. And I was kind of like this outside agitator,
1: frustrating side character from the past. Um, so what do you do in that situation is that there, there are C suites right now going through this or even entrepreneurs who have the leadership yeah. team and people pointing fingers. What type of advice would you give them if this is the hard decision they have to make now for their business? You know, it's, yeah. it's tough when you, you have personal ties to people, Absolutely, but you also have to make business decisions. Yeah. And I, I mean, my wife and I lost a lot of friends in those layoffs, right? Like
2: lots of people who we were, we would see regularly and have dinner with and like hang out with and we knew their kids and, you know, um, yep. And, and those, those relationships were, were burned and, uh, that, that sucks. I mean, I think, um, I think during COVID my experience has been that, employees, especially in, in tech world and and um, these sorts of fields, right, that where, where it's sort of higher education um, required for the jobs, generally speaking, people are actually more understanding. They're sort of like, oh, things are hard for everyone. I get it. Our business is not doing well. It's not you messing up, right, and putting us in a risky situation. It's a pandemic has hit the planet after a hundred years of being relatively pandemic free. And we are all in this, you know, rough situation. And like, yeah, people aren't buying flights on Expedia anymore. So obviously there's going to be layoffs. Right. Um, So I think there's a lot more empathy from people organizationally all all over the place, which is, which is really nice um, and, and very different from layoffs in other times. The the one thing I would say is I um I think that many businesses do have to make cuts, have had to make cuts. I do generally urge folks not to cut so deeply that you prevent yourself from taking advantage of uh return, you know, a return of demand, a return of normal economic activity. And we are seeing signs in many parts of the economy that there are, you know, returns to opportunity. Spark Toro, for example, like even though the United States has continued to suffer, lots of other places in the world have, right. have started recovering from the pandemic. Right? right? Europe is doing much better. A lot of parts of Asia are doing much better. Um, lot, you know, parts of the Middle East are recovering. Some parts are very hard hit, but we're we're seeing this this sort of like different patterns, and so we see our business picking up in those places um, as those folks kind of do a better job of dealing with. COVID than the U S does. And, um, and I think those opportunities are there too. I think there's also opportunities to shift your positioning and your marketing and your product to opportunities that, that exist right during these times, like e-commerce is way, way up. Are there ways that your business can help with e-commerce, right? Uh, digital tools are way up. Are there ways that your business can, you know, can serve B2B in digital tool space? Um, You know, there's intra-Europe travel is returning, intra-Europe tourism is returning. If you're Expedia, can you take advantage of that, right? All those kinds of things.
0: I think right now what's going on should be a very strong lesson regardless of the size and frankly of the industry of your company to be flexible and adaptable. I think to say, well, we're not an e-commerce Company, well, you know what, you got to kind of learn. You are now, <laughs> you are now, right? <laughs> and I think for stodgy CEOs that get into a place of of growth over time, it creates a dangerous glide path. You know, well, we're you know we're doing it, same customers, we're growing by whatever one percent is more than last year. That's a win, and we don't need to innovate. We don't need to be adaptable and flexible. And then all of a sudden. You know, February comes and there's a pandemic and what what just happened. Also, yeah. too, it's, it's shown me, particularly in the United States, just how fragile our economy is. We're a very forward-moving economy. When things are good, they're very good. But, I mean, the United States airline industry is a multibillion-dollar industry, and they run on two months of cash. They have two months of cash, and that's it. And yeah. either they get bailed out or whatever – lost, comes back. I mean, that to me is incredible. A hundred thousand people at, um, was it Macy's got let go that, that, you know, you're playing pretty close to the margin all the time. There's not a lot of extra, even in a good economy.
2: I mean, this is right. The weird thing about, um, you know, sort of capital markets and, uh, you know, private equity in particular and, and then public market stock traders kind of having a, mentality of, um, and I think this shifted around the like late 70s, early 80s, right, from the previous 100 years of capitalism, which was, hey, you, you have to build long-term businesses that have a lot of capital in the bank that can weather downturns and storms. Um, and it became very much a CEOs are hired for four years and your job is to increase the stock price Absolutely. as much as you can, right? And that short-termism, yeah. that short-termism is very, very dangerous, it's yes. lucrative in the short term, but it's right. really dangerous. It creates a very brittle economy. And yes, I mean, then, then you basically have socialism for the you know, the biggest companies and the wealthiest people and rugged individualism for right. everybody else.
0: The, what happened really, and your point is exactly spot on, what happened was there was a fundamental change of priority from a business going to reinvesting in, in the community or the market to satisfy the shareholder. Yeah. And when they do that you fundamentally change the operation, the operating mentality of that company. That money that would go into the reinvestment is now going to that that shareholder yeah. share, And, and that's why you have a separation.
2: In, right, if I've learned anything from my whole life it's incentives govern behavior. Like we all Absolutely. think that, we, can, we, yeah. all think that our, we are unique, special snowflake human beings who can somehow think outside of the incentives of the structures around us, but we cannot. We collectively cannot think outside of those structures. And so right. when you have, you know, societies that prioritize um, collective action to protect vulnerable people, you get places that are very resilient against pandemics. And when you don't, you get the United States and Brazil, <laughs> right? And so, uh, and, and I think it, it is, it's really important to just recognize as entrepreneurs, you are building a system. We are building systems for our employees and our customers and our audiences. And we have to take advantage of that same systems thinking, the incentives that we build through our, our pricing and our promotion and our product strategy and our uh, rewards and incentives programs internally and who we recognize and how we promote people, all of those do the same thing, right? They have that same big picture result. Right. Uh, and, and I think that uh, there are a ton of lessons to be learned from both a time like this and from individual you know, companies being able to react and say, oh, I might not want to participate in this type of a system. And maybe I should reconsider the systems that we are building and how we structure them. Absolutely.
0: Okay. um, As we kind of begin our, our, our landing, our, our coming into the final approach um, we've started this new kind of thing as we, as we like to re-energize, our podcast. Uh, Bernard Pivot was a French journalist who developed the 10 question questionnaire whenever he asked or interviewed whoever it was he was interviewing. And um, it was always featured on one of my most favorite shows called Inside the Actors Studio and James Lipton yes. used to ask it all the time. So we're that. here today to support and celebrate Mr. Pivo and we're going to run through this. So give us your... We've had ups and downs. Some of our guests have been very um, contemplative about their answers, but we ask you to give us the gut reaction. All right. The right at the top of your mind, tip of your tongue answer. What is your favorite word?
1: Ooh. Hmm.
2: Love. What is your least favorite word?
0: Colonialism. Oh, that's a, that's that's
2: brilliant. What turns you on? <laughs> what turns me on? Proving people wrong. <laughs> Man after my own heart. Like what, <laughs> what what, tu- <laughs> what turns you off? Ooh, greed.
0: What sound do you love?
2: I love, I love the sound of rain hitting a lake or an ocean. What sound do you hate? <laughs> There's these kids right behind me in the backyard. <laughs> here right <now>. just, <laughs> it's like Scooby-Doo. Those damn kids. Uh, no. Oh, oh, here's, here's the sound. I, I, every Monday, the trucks that come to pick up our recycling and garbage. I have to, for some reason on our block, they've got to back up. Yeah. And it's yeah. 745 in the morning on a Monday. I don't, I don't know why they have to have yeah. those beepers on. we're in a residential neighborhood. It's fine. Just back up. You don't got to turn on the beep, man. Whoever
0: created that noise has captured the market. Cause whether you're in Seattle or LA or Boston, it's the same beep. Bloop,
2: bloop, bloop. Uh.
0: <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? You can say it. Yeah, we go for the E ah, explicit on the it. podcast.
2: Gosh.
1: Hmm.
2: I'm not sure I have one. I'm not sure I have one. You just have too many, Ran. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> all <laughs> of them. All of them. <laughs>
2: what profession
0: other than yours would you like to attempt?
2: Oh my God i I would love to. I would love to be an author, like a fiction author. I wish I had the talent and the artistic commitment and the the creativity. I I love fiction so much, and I just wish I had the talent for it.
0: What profession would you not like to try?
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> politics. I am totally uh, uninterested <laughs> in the incentives that govern politics.
0: <laughs> yeah. You got to take a few showers a day. if you're yeah, gonna, I, I don't feel, even know.
2: I don't even know yeah. how you, I'd be the worst politician ever. Right. I would just lose every election. Yeah. And never get a job. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> um, I just don't get it. Um, if
0: heaven exists, what would you like God to say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates?
2: Haha, ha, fooled you. <laughs> <laughs> that is
1: brilliant. I love it. You're definitely one that, so see Sean, it wasn't, not just me. I get stuck <laughs> on some of these questions too. So that's uh, true. That's true.
0: That Ran put a lot of thought into it. I appreciate it. Awesome,
1: Ran. Maybe uh, not the last one, but the rest of them I did think about. You did. I
2: appreciate that. That was great.
1: So, Ren, last question here for you is like, you know, tell us what are you working on? Tell us about SparkToro and, you know, what are you working on right now? And how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So so SparkToro is this tool to help anybody instantly
2: discover what their uh, audience reads, watches, listens to, follows, pays attention to. So if you want to know what uh, electrical engineers in the UK are uh, subscribing to, or you want to know what venture capitalists in Ohio are reading, or you want to know what, um, fiction authors in New York are, uh, listening, which podcasts they're subscribed to. We, We can tell you all those things, right? We'll show you, uh, what any audience reads, listens to watches that, uh, that is, you know, data that's hard to come by. It is, um, it's out there on the web, but we we have to crawl it and build it. And that is what we're working on, right? Trying to scale that up and make it better, make it higher quality, scale it beyond English um, so that we can reach some of these, these other markets that are uh, growing. And yeah, anybody can go ahead and check it out for free It's sparktoro.com. Uh, if you want to follow me and, and sort of my writings and musings on marketing and, and, and capitalism and uh, incentives, uh, I, I am most active on Twitter where I'm at Rand yeah,
1: And for, for marketers out there, um, I got a chance to, to play around with SparkToro. Um, the privilege uh, for Rand to give us access to it. And it, it's amazing. I mean, saving the amount of time. Like, thank you for putting this <laughs> together. Thank you, Rand. Right. Yeah. Talk, our pleasure. Serve, you're serving, right. You're serving us yes. now. You're helping yeah. us, serving us and everything just falls into place. Um, so if you talking to anybody, even if it's an entrepreneur or not, and you can give them a slogan or a life lesson, you no, know, yeah. what would you say? Gosh, I, um, I am a
2: big fan of starting small and staying focused. I think that there is a tremendous amount of media and amplification and incentive for you to, as an entrepreneur, try and you know, think really big about your business. How is it going to be a billion-dollar company? What's the multi-billion-dollar market you're approaching? man, fuck that. Honestly, can you make a few thousand dollars from some customers next month? That's pretty awesome. Like, go ahead and do that. Help, help those people. When, when you find that you're helping them and there's more people like them, go help those people as well. Stay, stay focused on how you are delivering an extraordinary solution to a painful problem and I don't think you have to worry about a billion dollar market. I think, I think you can stay tremendously focused on solving those problems and you can build a business that will make you and your employees and your customers happy. And that is, that's not just enough. In so many cases, it is better. It is better than becoming Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Sergey Brin or Larry Page or any of these folks, I I know we worship wealthy billionaires in this country and as entrepreneurs we do. And I'm I'm telling you right now, there are 10,000 people whose businesses are clearing not even a million dollars in revenue this year who are way happier than Elon Musk is. I completely agree. And there's no reason, there's no reason that you can't, get there too. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me guys. This is really fun. I love your format. I love the conversation and the flow. Um, And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for folks to hear this.
0: Well, we really appreciate you joining us today. And, and, you know, like I said, after the name, It was all cherry on top. I mean, come on, man. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I will say in closing, I have to plug your faith for a minute because the, I've been to two amazing weddings and they were both Jewish weddings. I actually oh, yeah. asked, yeah. asked the rabbi for a form to fill out. I would have converted <laughs> right there. I mean, the seats reclined. I mean, I'm a recovering Catholic. If it's oh, not, if stiff, <laughs> so and straight up, yeah. it's not a Catholic church. I mean, you have to be sore to go to mass. I was like, these seats reclined. Where I want to, where do I sign up? I want to do this now. <laughs> so kudos, man. It's good. I appreciate if only if
2: only it wasn't for the thousand years of inbreeding that gives us all these genetic diseases. You know, (laughs) Judaism
1: would be great.
0: (laughs) Well, we all have our flaws, I guess. (laughs) There you go. There you go. But thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And
1: this is amazing. I appreciate your time and and, and your insight. You know, and your energy out there. You're definitely making the world better. So thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, Stay in touch, guys. Look forward to uh,
2: to catching up. You got. it. Cheers, my friend. Take Take care, thank it. you
0: for crushing it. Thank you. All right. All right. All right. Bye-bye. 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 Bye bye. Cheers. Thanks. So, this is not so much just for our listeners, it's with our listeners. We're doing this with them, not just for them. We're all together in this big, massive, disconnected group called entrepreneurs.
1: Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Vulnerable Entrepreneurs, Twitter and Instagram at The VE Podcast. The VE podcast. Vulnerable Entrepreneur podcast and join the conversation by visiting us on our website, thevepodcast.com and email us at hello at thevepodcast.com.
0: Thanks everybody for joining us today. That wraps it up. We understand that every minute of your day is valuable and we appreciate you spending time with us today.